Hey there, beautiful souls. Welcome to Beyond the Surface, where the saying to be seen is to be understood comes to life. I want to begin by first honouring the traditional custodians of the land we live and work on. I live and work on Gundungurra land and acknowledge the traditional landowners of my guests near and far. I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging for they hold the memories, the traditions and cultures of our First Nations peoples. The land below my feet is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. I am no stranger to the profound journey of pain, grief, anger and heartbreak that often accompanies the loss of church, community, faith and the unwinding of our core beliefs. In the midst of this labyrinth, I found healing in the stories shared by others who have walked a similar path. Each tale, unique in its own right, weaves an invisible thread of connection, uniting us through the tapestry of religious trauma and healing. Here, in the warmth of these digital walls, I want you to feel at home. This is a haven where your memories are not just acknowledged, but deeply seen and believed. So kick back, relax, and let's embark on a journey where your story is not just heard, but embraced. Welcome to a community where storytelling is a powerful force. This is Beyond the Surface. Welcome, Joy. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I am um, I'm so excited about this episode because obviously it's the first episode, um, which I just Congrats. sprung on you before. <laughs> um, but the reason uh, that I wanted to do this episode first is because about two and a half, maybe three years ago, when my therapist first put the word deconstruction to some of the stuff that I was going through, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go online. And you were the very first person who I ever found. And so for the last like two and a half years for like the people who know me well, um, you are known as Joy Vettelon, the deconstruction queen. So so this is a really nice like full circle moment um, for me. That's incredible. Wow. What an honor. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's so funny to like, I don't know. It's just, I feel like Instagram can make it look so much more glamorous when it's really just like me hunched over my phone on the end of the bed, just like, (laughs) oh, I had an idea. Let me write it down. And then later I like put a cool font with it, but it's like so much of just these thoughts on the go and me just, yeah, being really like trying to figure out what's happening to me and like thinking of these things that I'm like, Oh, that thought makes me feel so much better. Yeah. Maybe I'll share it in case if it makes someone else feel better. So thank you. That is so cool. That makes me <laughs> warms my cockles. Good. <laughs> um, and I, I think I loved most was because when I, I remember um, obviously I found you quite quickly, but I remember the other people and the other pages and, and communities, um, there is obviously a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. rightly so for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was not in that space. So all I really wanted Mm -hmm. was someone talking about it, not in, 
full of mm. uh, you know bitterness and rage and mm -hmm. um, and just talking about it in a sort of and I love the word that you use which is reimagined um mm -hmm. and I was like this this is what I want um and so yeah it's um it was a this is a really lovely full circle moment <laughs> oh, thank you so, I'm so glad to be here yeah <laughs> So I'm already tearing up a little, so it's not <laughs> bode well for the rest of the uh, hour. <laughs> um, so where does your story start? Well, um, I mean, I guess suppose all of our stories start with when we're born and the context we're born into. So um, really the, the, Yes, the, the context of my story really starts with my parents, I would say, who um, they were spiritual seekers in the 1960s and 70s or very much like part of the hippie movement. And so they found through a lot of seeking and dabbling and all kinds of things, they found their spiritual truth in um, becoming born again Christians mm -hmm. uh, in the probably right around like 1980 ish, okay. um, late seventies, early eighties, um, aging myself a bit, but, um, they, um, they pretty quickly transitioned into like, they went, they went all in. They, my dad went to seminary at a very conservative seminary and they got involved in a bunch of like, um, ministries and he started become you know going on the path to becoming a pastor so my mom started going down the path of like what does it mean to be a pastor's wife so I feel for them like knowing evangelical culture as I do like they had such a pure entry into it like they really fell in love with the person of Jesus as it was presented to them and the freedom it was offered and then just go so quickly yeah. got pulled into this like well if you love Jesus then here's how you raise your kids and mm -hmm. here's how you like do this and here's what you're supposed to do and to their credit, like some of that they tried to do and some of it they're like, eh, no, that's not who we are. Um, yeah. But so, so that's when, that's the period I was born into. Um, so I was born, my, my older siblings were not born into a Christian family. I was born into a Christian family uh. and that was still pretty new and fresh and significant. And um, pretty, when I was five, my dad graduated from seminary and got a job as a pastor and we moved to a small town, not a small town, but a small city in Alaska. So that was my whole childhood was being mm. a pastor's kid and being a Christian. And I was a pretty good girl naturally. So it wasn't like a huge, I liked it. I liked that. Like we got perks and yeah. you know, when you're a pastor in Alaska, people are like, Oh, here's some extra crab legs and here's ah. some extra fish. And so we got lots of perks. <laughs> like I love that the crab um, legs are the perks. Know, That's right. great. Oh. I still don't know if I have had crab legs as good as I had as a kid when people just like oh. left them on our doorstep. But um, yeah, that really stood out to me as a kid, apparently. But um, so yeah, I don't I don't want to oh. Okay, how to wrap it up. So yeah, I would just went through I launched pretty firmly into the like good evangelical girl pipeline. So summer camps, rededicating my life to God, trying to witness to my friends, mm. trying to, you know, going to youth group, reading my Bible, you know, following the 
do they have Brio magazine in Australia? No. Maybe not. Have you heard of Focus on the Family? Oh, I think so, but not like Okay. It's some it of this was, is yeah. American culture. Yeah. Anyways, if your American listeners are out there, they'll know. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. I just I was all in. And mm. and so in college decided to go to a private Christian university, got my degree that included a Bible minor and then started working for a church. Mm. And like, yeah, it was uh, yeah, church like even when I had kids and I stopped working for the church, I was still working for like a Christian publisher writing curriculum. And then I started working for another church. So it was just like, I was just like in this Christian bubble my mm. whole life and usually tied to either my parents' profession or to my like education or profession. Yeah. So I, I think, sorry if that was a long answer, but oh. that's like the, the context of where yeah. Joy the Christian started. Yeah, and it sound, I think one of the commonalities between all of the people that I've talked with so far is, is that everybody was all in. It's like it was like all-consuming. It was, like you said, that sort of Christian bubble and it was sort of every facet of your life was somehow connected to the church or to your faith. Um, what was it like being someone who was that that consumed with their faith and their church and Hmm, that's a good question I didn't you know in many ways you don't know what you're in till you're out of it later (laughs) um but I think now it was really um I mean, there's parts of it I think that were probably good and that served me well um I, I developed a really personal relationship with God through some of the, um, some of the times I went through my, when my dad stopped being a pastor, that was a very painful transition for our family. It was a, the church kind of stabbed him in the back and we had to leave our town. So everything I knew it was really rough in that season. Um, yeah, I really felt that's really when to use Christian language, my faith became my own because I truly had no support system and no one to depend on except this, um, you know, this idea of Jesus in my head. And I leaned very heavily on that and and developed a really significant connection to what I now would consider like my intuition in myself and, you know, the greater forces of mystery in the world. But in that moment that I called that Jesus. Um, So that was, you know, I really valued that and that stayed with me and why I think I was, that's why I was all in because I felt like I had experienced the goodness of God. I wasn't able to separate those significant personal relationships I had had from some of the institutional things that did kind of rub me the wrong way. It was like, well, like it's a package deal. I have to put up with all of these immature and unkind and dysfunctional people because I have this thing that I know is real and that I like and like that Jesus is, you know, for what I believed then telling me that these other people are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. But, um, I also think it made me, I was just thinking about this the other day. I think it made me insecure about a lot of things. 
maybe more things besides insecure, but there was always a sense of like, am I living up to my full potential? Like the parable of the talents, mm. you know, where like to who much has been given much is expected. That made me feel incredibly nervous. I had a lot of mm. pressure on myself because I felt like I was someone, I, I was like musical and I was getting good grades and you know, I knew that I had been born into a place where like my parents were together and we had enough money to eat. And I mean, not much more than that. We certainly were not the most privileged of people when your dad stops being a pastor. It's not like yeah. the money's rolling in, but um, yeah, I just felt like I was always afraid of wasting my life, of disappointing God. I was afraid of missing opportunities to tell people about Jesus yeah. Um, made me insecure around people a lot because I felt like I couldn't just show up and be present to the moment without an agenda. Mm. And so it was always like, oh, here's this person, but like they're a new person. Is this a person I'm supposed to witness to? And like, how do I handle that? And is this the sign that now's the time? And like, shoot, I wish I'd read my Bible and prayed more this morning. So I'd be more in tune with the spirit. Cause what if I think it's the time, but it's not the time, just like a lot of that sort of like, um, frantic thinking always second guessing myself and like the whole yeah like being a woman especially once I got into ministry that became more of a like how come like those yahoos get all these like opportunities and perks like I'm way yeah. more holy and like way more devoted than any of them like I'm yeah. way more way more of a deep thinker and like they're the ones getting asked, asked yeah. to preach like are you kidding me like like a fifth grader could have written that sermon. Absolutely. Know, just like yeah. It's funny because I think, you know, I would hear um, the do not be anxious about anything scripture um, in so many sermons. And yet so many people are just sitting there like riddled with anxiety about, yeah. um, gosh, what if the choice that I'm making is not the choice that's part of God's plan for mm -hmm. my life and I'm stepping outside of that? Um, and it's just this constant cycle of what ifs and questions yeah. and, um, yeah, yeah fr frantic thoughts. I love that. I think that's a really yeah. great um, image. I, I think just now in this moment, I've realized I'm putting it together that like that sort of like circular thinking was in fact anxiety. Because <laughs> I don't think yeah. I would have like, I'd just be like, oh, I'm like, be holy as God is holy. And like, I want to, I like, I'm doing this because I love God. And like, does he know yeah. I love him? And I want to please him. And, you know, because he was there for me in all these meaningful times, I want to make sure I'm doing my part. And, but somehow, yeah. yeah so. Mm. It's hard being a woman in the church, isn't it? It is. And I, it is. And yet, and you can answer this too. I think I'm like, it is hard being a woman and yet I have white skin mm, yes. and yeah. I am, I am cishet and mm. I know that like, there are still many layers for which I had a, a yeah. heteronormative experience, I guess, but, but even the amount I felt mm. was, yeah, real, real sucky. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, yeah. And, and reflecting now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was putting up with so much sexual harassment mm. that I didn't even like know to call it that. It was just like, I bought into the like, well, boys will be boys. Like, huh. 
I was the only female on this one staff I was on and the men would just sit around and like joke about, you know, with like not overt, but lots of innuendo about how much they liked to do their wives. (laughs) And I was like a single woman just sitting there and I'm like, (laughs) like, I'm one of the cool girls. I'm not offended by this. Like I can hang, even though I was like incredibly uncomfortable because I'm over here trying to like uphold purity culture and you know. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. It just every time it's like that again, I just it baffles me. Um, but it is, you know, I think obviously there are a lot of different layers in terms of marginalization and things like that. And I you know, obviously as also as a white cisgender woman, um, but a queer woman, that doesn't go down well in the church either. And so it's just all of these compounding layers um, that make realistically church a man's world. Really. Yeah. That's that's sort of like the crux of it. Um, it's so, it's such a, it creates such a silo and echo chamber because, the people who thrive in there are the ones who fit the norm. And so they naturally rise up through the ranks as leaders mm-hmm. and share what works for them to connect with God, which is what works for a man who fits all of these demographic check yeah. boxes. And like, they just keep spraying the thing. So then all these diverse people come in and think there's like, oh, I'm not like, this doesn't work for me to connect to God because I'm not like, but we don't think, oh, it's because I'm different and that's good and we need more diverse voices in the church. It's, they say it with such authority and we're so conditioned to believe their authority that it's like, oh, they must know and I need to learn from them and like, oh, I just got to get this. I just need to surrender this part of me to God. And it's, I just have this rebellious spirit in this way. I just need to surrender that. We just like always think that any difference is our fault now it makes me quite upset and I'm glad to be free from it yeah absolutely I mean it's just that sort of I mean they're the benchmark right so like that's who you are conditioned to to trust is sort of you know that external authority um what impact did that have on trusting your own intuition and your own inner compass a lot Mm. yeah I was a very I've always been a very like intuitive sensitive person Mm. um I'm an HSP I think I saw on something that Uh, yes yeah (laughs) which which now I'm like oh that's my superpower that's Mm -hmm. how I see the world but at the time um I really felt like that was my biggest flaw was that I was overly emotional, overly sensitive. I, you know, fully bought the teaching that your flesh is sinful and not to be trusted and feelings are of the flesh. I was very much under a really full in and believing the teaching that my feelings are of my flesh. My flesh is sinful. Therefore, my feelings or my sinful nature, not to be trusted, not good guides. So I did a ton of, you know, self gaslighting, spiritual bypassing of myself. And 
never trusted my feelings if they conflicted with what I had learned about something in the past. Yeah. Um, and that really probably ties into that whole insecure thing. That was just torture. That's a torturous way to live when you're an intuitive person whose inner world is picking up all these single signals and telling you so many messages. And you're just like consistently denying them. Like, no, that can't be right. That can't be right. That can be right. Like, no wonder I was highly emotional, (laughs) you know, it's like, you can't just live with that, that torture inside for so long. And I think ultimately, I think the older I got, the less I was able to do that. And that kind of ended up being part of a breaking point and just like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. How did you go from, I guess, the good Christian girl to being a pastor? Okay. Yeah. That was actually, I think for me, what I didn't have the word deconstruction for it then, but I think that sort of started the process because I was at one church from right after college for almost 10 years. And then I took a few years off. I was having kids. That's when I was kind of working for some parachurch organizations, but we started attending another church and it was everything that the church we'd been in for 10 years lacked, like this church seemed to have, it was more casual and people were friendlier and we made some friends right away. And I had one of the, I had met the pastor through work and he was really kind and he became a friend. We just enjoyed talking to each other and working together on some of these projects for this other company I was working with. And so we started checking this church out and just really quickly felt at home there. Mm. And, um, when that, um, that publishing company ended up like closing our, you know, division or whatever. And he heard I was looking for a job. It was like two days later. He was like, Hey, I hear you might be looking for a job. Like I want to get you in somehow. And, um, that was really great for what we needed at the time. Financially, it felt like a, a divine thing and a God thing. And I think he thought so too. So over the next year, then he started talking to me about like, Hey, like, I really think you have talent and, love having you here. And like, we actually are looking for um, somebody to head up our worship and communications department. And I know based on your background, like, I think you could do it. And like, this is a pastoral role. Like, what do you think? And this was the first time I had ever even thought of myself as, I didn't even tried the idea on because the church I was in wasn't as conservative as they come, but it was very much like, Sure, women can talk on stage on Sundays, but they can't preach. If they're talking, they're sharing or speaking. Like women can work here and be leaders, but they're directors. They're not pastors. Like it was very much just like this undercurrent of complementarianism. That's what I had. And that's the college I went to. I was lots of systematic theology classes talking all about how women, you know, were made after Adam and that's the order of creation and that's the order of... Okay. So yes, I grew up with sort of this like inherited, somewhat understated, but very present sense of complementarianism that like women can be pretty great, but they're always going to come under the authority of man. And I had never really thought about it. I was pretty much like, yeah, I'm not going to like make a hard decision, but I kind of like fell in line, like a good little 
lady soldier for complementarianism. My husband and I had very much talked about this in our marriage and both had agreed that this was absolute nonsense in a marriage, that there's no way a marriage can work if both people don't get to like say what they think and like each contribute their full strengths to the marriage. So at least I had that. When the senior pastor asked me to consider being a pastor, I felt really seen in some ways that he was seeing this, uh, this Mm. gift and skill and like calling, I guess I had in me to help people. His thinking is like, some places require ordination. To me, a pastor is someone who shepherds souls. If you're going to be doing the work of shepherding souls, I'm going to call you a pastor. And I was so grateful for that. And I, like, he gave me a couple books to read, um, Blue Parakeet, I think is what it's called by Scott McKnight. I think I had the book behind me somewhere, but that was like so empowering to be like, to go from, is it okay for me to do this and to read and learn and, and at that point think, oh, not only is it okay, but like, we need more women leading things. Like we need to have this balance and like, yes, I will. Yes, I can do that. Like that is what I'm supposed to do. And I was really honored and excited to like find that. Yeah. That like, oh, it was like an opening in my soul of like, oh, I, I finally have permission to be sort of what I've always been. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, huh, I was wrong about this. Yeah. Like what am I wrong about other things? Mm. Interesting. So I think that for me was the beginning of my deconstruction. Yeah. It opened the question door. Yeah. And once you open it, you can't you can't close it. I mean you can. You would you know, there would be a lot of suppression happening to to close that door again. Um, Yeah. Yeah, once you, it's like, I use the analogy of, you know, when you pull on a thread of a garment and it just slowly Mm -hmm. starts to unravel, Mm -hmm. um, the more that you pull it, um, it's a little bit like that. Um, Yeah, if you keep pulling, it falls apart. The best thing to do is just like cut it off and like hope no one notices the hole, which I think is what I did for a while. Yeah. I mean, what was it like for you being a pastor? It was miserable. It was like the worst year, year and a half of my life. Honestly, mm-hmm. I had no business in this time of my life saying yes to this job. Mm-hmm. And I, I go still go back and forth. I'm still spent five years ago as of yesterday. And I still go back and forth in my mind trying to figure out like, like, should I have said, like, I had some misgivings about it, even from the get go, should I have said no? But it was like financially at the time, we didn't really have any other options. Like there were bills. This was a way to pay them. I had to say, yes, I had, I had just had my second child. So when I, we like, you know, he asked me if I would consider taking this job right before I went on maternity leave. So I'm just like laying awake at night with my newborn thinking about like, oh my gosh, like. I get to be a pastor and like, this is a chance for me to like fix all the problems I've ever noticed in worship anywhere. And like this church is going to love it when I change everything. Oh gosh. And like patting my little, oh. you know, two week old baby, sweet, sweet baby, both of us thinking that was going to work. Um, But you know, 
So it was like, I had a baby and then we had to move to be closer. And then we had to, and then I started working and it, yeah, it was rough. I I mean, just physically, I still, I was really struggling to adjust to having two kids. That was a huge adjustment. Um, my second woke up a lot in the night, um, and didn't get sleep trained for, you know, a year and a half. So pretty much the whole time I was working there, I wasn't getting a full night of sleep. So I'm trying to field, you know, a new job just on like no sleep alone is Mm. terrible. But I think the, the harder part was that I had noticed some things like I really, we really liked the church when we were like attending it. Once I started working there, it was like pretty, I pretty quickly noticed some cracks in the, like the staff and the culture of the staff. Um, just some weird, like, huh, that's weird. Nobody talks about this. Like, that was a really inappropriate thing. How come no one's saying anything? I'm like, huh, those people fought and they aren't resolving it. Like, that's weird. And it's like the closer you get to the file. Yeah. Yeah. It was. So once I started working full time, Mm. I saw, it was like in it and I was like, oh, this place is miserable. (laughs) Like, I, at least for me, like maybe they're all doing okay, but this is not a fit. I didn't have that language for it, but I was just like quick, very quickly. It became clear that while everybody was super excited to hire me, nobody wanted to onboard me or train me. I felt like I was just kind of like hired and expected to fall in line and know what to do. I didn't really know the culture that well of the church. There was like, you know, I'm a writer and a creative person. And I was pretty sure that they knew that when they hired me, but then it was like, okay, you need to be like mentoring interns and recruiting volunteers and developing these leadership pipelines. And, you know, we need to be like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm not good at that. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't want me to do that. And all the expectations are like, oh, well, now that you're a pastor, you need to be one of our pastors on call. So when people come in off the street looking for food, and if they want to talk to someone, you need to go talk to them. And I'm like, I am not trained in any kind of anything. Like, I don't know how to talk to someone who's having a psychotic break. Yeah. I'm scared. Like, please, don't, mention the please don't make me do this. Absolutely. Yeah, like, there are some hey, like I at least need someone in the room with me. And like, mm-hmm. I guess I can pray for this person. But like, yeah, so very quickly. Sorry, I get sort of like going. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, it was really awful. And then things just started happening. Like, yeah, just like um, having like staff members, like be real insubordinate to me and not having any, because they had grown up there. It was just like, well, you there, yeah, they're hard to deal with. You're just going to have to figure it out. And I'm like, no, but like they, they're not doing what I am telling them to do. So what? Yeah. And they're like, well, that's because you're not being a good enough leader. And I was like, okay, so tell me how to be a good leader. And they're like, well, if you have to ask, like just YouTube it or something. And it was just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. I just felt really unsupported and every night. So it's like, I would finally fall asleep and then my baby would wake me up at like two in the morning and I would just lay there for hours living, reliving all these like horrible conversations and all these like mean things people had said and um yeah it was just like nobody had my back and I didn't understand why and yeah a few really really horrible things happened and in retrospect I'm like I should have quit right then that was like 
that was a sign, but I didn't because I believed that you have to stay and fight for forgiveness. And these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. So I just dug in deeper and just hurt myself really worse and worse by staying in this place that was so damaging. And um, yeah, I have a lot of regret around just staying so long when I was in so much pain. Um, so yeah, it sucked. I liked, uh, <laughs> I liked the title. But that's yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean... <laughs> It's hard because the closer you get, the I guess the more you see church as a business and mm -hmm. um, all of the, you know, church politics and, you know, all of the ugliness happens and is seen yeah. the closer you get to the top of the food chain in the church. Yeah. But it also sounds a little bit like, um, and this might just be my therapist brain turning on for a second, um, but it sounds a little bit like the period of time before you became a pastor, your pastor might have been sort of like love bombing a little bit around, you know, you'll be really mm -hmm. wonderful and, you know, it's about being a shepherd and, you know, all oh of this gosh. really amazing, amazing yeah. language just to sort of, you know, appeal to that emotional part of you that yeah. you know, has a heart for people and yeah. and then basically sign the dotted line and then right oh now it's all up to you so yeah. it's almost like you were that, primed for that to happen yeah I think you might be right that feels that feel that resonates and it makes me feel a little better. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> I'm glad. I mean, and that's a lot of new, like new job, yeah. uh, you know, uh, yeah. like new baby, new family oh, dynamics. Gosh. Yeah. You know, the new role. Had, like both kids were in preschool. I was working yeah. full time for the first time as a mother. Like I hadn't worked full time. It was, yeah, it was too much. And like, now I'd be like, if anybody was like, I think I'm going to like move. And, and I, I would be yeah. like. I would strongly advise you to figure out a way to space that out. Absolutely. And, and do one at a time. But I was just so like, oh, if God wants this to happen, God will make a way. And I just couldn't. Yes. I just couldn't. I just couldn't hack it. And, you know, for good reason, like, yeah, not not couldn't hack it, but it. well, OK, well, I couldn't hack it because it was too much for any one human to. Yeah, hack. absolutely. <laughs> you know? And it was probably not a role that was you know if we go with sort of Christian language of designed for yeah. you or created for yeah. you you know that's not the role that you put a creative yeah. soul into you know yeah. that's like putting an oh, artist no. into the HR department like why that's not going to work yeah. that's a disaster exactly it I, I found myself thinking so many times because it was like find a, vo a volunteer team of writers and I was like but I'm a good writer. So like, yeah. do I not get to write because I'm supposed to like coach people to write who don't want to write and who aren't yeah. good at it? Like, why can't I just write? Like, Absolutely. But I think there is a part of me too, because I had grown up in this system that like being in vocational ministry was like the highest achievement. And it was like a sign of success. It was like, yeah. this was me building my career in the worship world, in the, yeah. in ministry world this was like an advancement and there was part of me that was just so flattered that they would give me this job that I was like oh I'm gonna do this I'm gonna prove it to myself and to everybody else yeah I could be a good leader and at the end of that time I was like I don't really 
like leading. I don't um, like, I'm a thought leader. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not like a, I like, don't like, I don't like managing people. Like, yeah. I don't want, I don't, I didn't like how people were like, can I go on vacation the week right before Christmas and having to be like, no idiot. Like that's when we do our most work. Like you can't yeah. go on vacation right before Christmas. And then, and then they'd be like, I just like really feel like you're not supporting my family. And I'm like, I don't, I had a family too, dude. Like, I don't know what to yeah. tell you. Like, I didn't like that part. I no. didn't have, it wasn't, oh wasn't goodness. for me. So now I'm like pretty happy to, now to just be like, kind of sitting behind my computer and writing little things and I hit send and 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 I mean still leading but leading in an authentic yeah Yeah. okay so I know a little bit about sort of um because I followed you for a while I know a little bit about how you left the church Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tell us how that happened okay so five years ago yesterday Mm. of the date of recording (laughs) Uh, yeah, I just, uh, so many things have happened. I think I painted a picture of, like, this was not a happy, there was a lot of like really hard conversations happening all the way through church started struggling financially. I knew that like, like, Ooh, when we're like six digits in the red, that can't be good. Um, okay. And, uh, or like, you know, six digits under budget. Mm. Um, and then there was a church plant that had sort of closed I won't say failed even though I think pretty much it was like this isn't working or going anywhere so Mm. they kind of folded back in so all of a sudden the staff that was working for there that location was suddenly on staff with all of us and so then there was some duplication of roles and so um I started noticing things just getting weird you know all of my intuitive like Mm. spidey senses were tingling and I just over Christmas was like honey I don't know why, like my boss won't look me in the eyes. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'll have a job, but like, whatever. Like, like we just got to keep mo- moving. And like, sure enough, right after break, I remember I was like on stage giving announcements that Sunday, like to the whole, like, like, welcome everybody into our community. If you're new with us today, come see the visitor. You know, that was like my day to give the announcements or whatever. And I'm just looking down at my boss slash senior pastor slash good friend who's just not looking at me. And he just looks so tortured. And I'm like, what is going on? And super uneasy. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, sure enough, the next day I get to work and he calls me into his office and the lady who does HR is sitting there with a cardboard box under her chair. And I'm like, oh, this can't be good. And it was done so quick. It was mm-hmm. just like, as we, I think that, yeah, it was just, it was total HR jargon. Like, I think he probably Googled like how to fire someone in a church or, you know, got one of mm-hmm. his like church leadership resources, you yeah. know, how to fire someone in a godly way. But it was very clinical. Um, and yeah, she gave me a box. I packed up my stuff, had to sign some documents and then walk down a few doors, pick up my daughter from the on-site preschool and be like, come say goodbye to mommy's office because I'm never coming back here again. They let her continue going to preschool there for a few months, which was nice because, you know, preschool is expensive and it was yeah. really nice that she could go free. But yeah, it was just like so quick. So, but yet the most thing, I mean, I think I've 
painted a clear picture. Like I wasn't very happy in this job. And when I was, you know, closing things down that afternoon, I was looking through my like to-do list and I'm like, okay, I don't really care about this place, but there's a few people I care about and I don't want to totally screw my friends over. So like, is there anything that I'm in the middle of that I need to pass along to them? And I looked at my to-do list and all I felt was like incredible relief that I didn't have to do any of these tasks. Like everything on my to-do list was something I was dreading. And I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God. I do not have to do this anymore. And I was like, I'm so excited. I don't have to come back to work here. Like I hate this job. Yeah. But that like moment of relief was like brief and then quickly like (laughs) subsumed by just like the sheer trauma and significance. I don't think I realized in that moment, the full scope of like what I had just lost. Like I thought I lost a job, but upon reflection, I it was pretty clear to me quickly that I was like, I'm, I can't, I can't do this again. I can't go to another church like this this is going to keep happening at churches and I can't do it anymore. Mm. And then that was really the like, oh shit, because Uh. I have built my whole career around working in churches. Mm. What am I going to do now if I don't want to work in a church anymore? Absolutely. I mean, you know, yes, you lost a job, but the job was you. Yeah. And so, you know. So much identity. Yeah. Work, like my whole like course of the like, the Christian college and the years working towards this was just like lost. And Mm. I, I still grieve that a lot, you know, to be like, yeah, I have my work on the internet now, which I so love, but you know, it's, I'm still struggling to make ends meet, you know, and it's frustrating to be starting over and to be new and having to like pay my dues again, you know, that's, that's a big loss. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's really difficult, particularly for people who were pastors. I've spoken to a few now and, um, you know, it's more than a job. It's especially when you think that um, it's your calling or it's part of God's plan and all of that sort of, you know, Christian language or jargon that is your whole identity is wrapped up in that. Right. So it's like, you know, it's more than losing a job. And so there's probably relief around not having to do the tasks and, and grief and anger and, and all of those other emotions about what have I actually lost? And also the really shitty way it was done. Yeah. That's it. I mean, and that's what I've been reliving this weekend. I think just, you know, the anniversary of it and it being a significant milestone since I'm just like, oh yeah, I feel like I'm like kind of back in it again for the first time in a while. I feel like I've had a few years of just being like pretty Mm -hmm. good, but it feels very fresh and very recent right now. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just a little mile down the street, you know? Oh, wow. A couple kilometers or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no idea what the miles to the kilometers ratio kilometers is. kilometers oh, down the street. Good but, job. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh. I don't know if that's right or not. Oh. <laughs> I would have absolutely thought that was right. I have no idea about that ratio. What is it like being so close to it? I mean, I you know, struggle driving in past my former church when I go to my hometown because there's no other way I can get into the town without passing (laughs) it. 
trust me I've looked um and so it's like what is it like being so close yeah I don't love it um it's a big enough area like I'm in you know I'm in Orange County, California, which is outside of LA. So it's just, we have, we're definitely in suburban sprawl. So there's different cities, but they all mash into each other. So there's a lot of people here. So there's a lot of stuff real close to where you are. Like, you know, the same grocery store might be, you know, one here and one just a few miles away. And so I live like just far away enough that I don't have to drive by it unless I want to go to like one particular you know, shopping center that I do go to sometimes and I can kind of get there, but there's something about having to take like a ton of side streets yeah. to get there that feels just as traumatic as just like <laughs> driving by it. Like yeah. I don't want to let them affect my like productivity, you know? Mm. So I, it's, it wanes over time, but definitely, definitely like driving by the place. I like, will kind of like, like, don't look, don't look, don't look. And then I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like whose whose car is there? Like yeah. they built more, like you know, trying kind of just like seeing and you know, recognizing the cars of people who are considered really good friends who are still mm-hmm. really involved there, and like and feeling conflicted, like like man, if you really believed me mm-hmm. when I told you what happened to me, I don't think you could keep working there. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what that, I guess, you know, it's like, there goes that friendship, you know? Um, But I think the biggest thing I worry about still is just running into people. I don't run into people often. It wasn't a huge church. And like I said, they tend to be on a different part of town. And I think after COVID people do a lot more online shopping and, yes, you know, drive up orders, but um yeah, I still wonder, like, I have little scripts in my mind, like, okay, if I run into the pastor's wife, what am I going to say? If I run into this person, what yeah. will I say? Like, if I run into this person, and I don't like that I'm always doing that. So clearly, I still have some work to do processing all this. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not, it's not my favorite. And yet, at the same time, I feel also really committed to like, I actually like it here. Like I like where I live. And so I'm not going to let them run me out of town. Yeah. So I have made my own spot. Like my kids, you know, our school is like, that's where we do in my neighborhood. I feel very connected to, and like, there's like nobody from the church is in this neighborhood and no one's at our school. So like I have made my own little safe places that I can get around, but yeah. Yeah. It's um it reminds me of um when David Haywood says that deconstruction is a way of life, not a destination. Mm. And it's a little bit like yeah. that because I don't think that there is ever a moment where we go, right, oh, I think I'm done and dusted. Good. Everything's yeah. healed, processed, done. Um, I think there is always um, the anxiety is just shifted, right? Instead of worrying about all of the God's plans, we're now worried about all of, you know, running into people. And you are certainly not the only person I've run through a million scenarios in my head of what I would say running into certain people and, um, you know, and there are, I even sort of go, you know, there's certain people where I'm sure I will only run into them if it's at a funeral or something like that. And I go, great. People don't like to chat at funerals all that much. Great. I don't need to, I'm just going to like duck in, duck out. 
Um, but yeah, it's just a shift of anxiety into a different yeah. space. Um, yeah. Which could explain why over the last few years, I have been so much more interested in trying to find ways to make peace with mm -hmm. my Christian past. Yeah. Because I feel like, yeah, deconstruction is a very anxious process, like you said, but it's like, yeah. what's the point? Like I was anxious before. What's the mm. point of this? If I'm not going to someday, you know, yeah. and like giving my, giving ourselves space to like go through the grief and go through the cynicism and the anger, cynicism mm. and the anger, which are absolutely part of the process. But ultimately, like, I don't want to look back on that, like 35 years of my life and say, Oh, what a waste. Yeah, I need more meaning from my life. And so I think that's why I'm like, almost on a rescue mission of like, okay, yes, there's a lot of like stuff in there that was bad. But like, what can I go in and say, like, no, this was a good thing. Like, this was a good thing I can take with me even to say like, okay, that pastor like really screwed me over. But you know what, before he did that, he called out this thing in me, he called out this word pastor in me. And I still take that with me. Like, I'm not going to call myself a pastor yeah. anymore for a while. I was, I was like a pastor to, I called myself like pastor to Christian misfits of the internet or something. And yeah. then I was like, Oh, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. So never mind. But, but yeah. just that sense of like, Hey, like I see your soul, yeah. like, here's some care for your soul, you know, like I still feel that in me. Mm. Um, but yeah, so grateful for that nugget, even mm. though not grateful for the whole situation. Yeah. And that's important to me I guess, yeah. to do that work. Absolutely. I think even just, I don't think anything is all good or all bad. I think yeah. everything sort of sits in a spectrum. Um, and it's, I've found that I guess through my own deconstruction is just about creating new language or reinventing the old language. Um, it reminds me, actually, it reminds me of a post that you did over Christmas about joy and peace not being Christian terms because mm -hmm. often that language around Christian uh, around Christmas is, is hard to sort of hold and sit with. And so I yeah. remember seeing that post and going, Oh, that's so good. Like there was joy and peace before I became a Christian. There was, and there will yeah. be joy and peace long after as well. Yeah. What was your, I mean, and it's, I say journey because it's still ongoing, but what has your deconstruction journey been like for you? Hmm. I think in some ways, I mean, everybody has a different way they go about it. I think the silver lining of mine starting the way I did was that I think some people who start like sort of like have all of this, like this, like wrapped up life that's like going well for them. And when they start deconstructing, they slowly start seeing that like the, it's going to affect this thing they have. Yeah. Um, mine was sort of like the reverse effect. It was like the bottom fell out from under me. I lost my community, my job and my calling and a lot of my friends in one afternoon. And then I had to figure out where to go from there. Yeah. And so instead of this, like, I think deconstruction is really hard when you're seeing and experiencing what you're about to lose. If you keep questioning, 
Mm. But I lost everything first. And then in that sense was sort of released from any obligations to anyone or to any system. Like I didn't lose my job because I deconstructed. I lost my job and then I deconstructed. So there's the ways in which I think my experience is a little bit unique and gave me some freedom to Mm. just do it in a little bit of like, like a cocoon of like the safety of not having any witnesses. Mm. Like I was just a wreck, like in all the ways I was hurt on like every level and, um, well, not every level because I did have my family, um, my, my husband, my partner, my, and my two kids. And that was a really safe and cozy, Mm. happy space. And my kids were like, I love you when you're not stressed (laughs) out all the time, you know? I bet. Um, (laughs) but yeah, it, um, I just, I think that was the first time in my life when I didn't have to, I didn't feel an obligation from like, there was no connection between my beliefs and my livelihood anymore. So I was free to ask all the questions like, you know, we talked about like when you start pulling the thread, everything unravels. So the best thing to do is just like chop it off. I had been doing that. Like, you know, I mentioned that like I had started deconstructing with thinking about women in ministry and stuff, but I had also started thinking other questions that were very dangerous. And I had even voiced them to this, this pastor. And I don't think he was thrilled to hear that, that things like, you know, like questioning Jesus on the cross, like, was oh, that actually yeah. significant? Like, what did yeah, that actually yeah. do? What did that actually mean? Um, yeah, boy, so I bet with, that did not go down well. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. And he was like, he was like, he was like, yeah, no, ask your questions. And it was like, ask, but the implied was like, and questions? get some answers. Cause you can't not, you know, no. oh. but, um, yeah. So just like the freedom to go ahead and ask those, mm. um, was really great. And it was just sort of this sense of like, you guys don't want me. Like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Like, I'm going to ask whatever questions I want. I'm going to say whatever I want online. And yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it was, it was a lot of, to answer your question, what was the process of deconstruction? Like, it was a lot of just, I just had to heal as a person. Mm. And in the process of healing, righting the wrongs, it became very clear how much of my belief system was part of the wrong that had led me to get so hurt. Mm. What was it like for you trying to find a more authentic or preferred sense of spirituality? Honestly, I think up until very recently, I just wasn't interested in spirituality anymore. Like it was such, it it was such a big part of my life Mm. and it had consumed my whole life that when I finally deconstructed and to the point that I could say my spirituality isn't the most important thing about me, it was like there's this whole other aspect of who I am that's been sadly neglected yeah. for a long time. And it was like, I just need to give this part of who I am some room and some time in the sun. So like trying to reconnect with my body, like my physicality, like so much of my spirituality was like cerebral and emotional, but like very separated because it had to be because my body was like screaming at me that something was very wrong and I couldn't hear it. So allowing that to come back and just allowing myself to be someone who like doesn't read the Bible in the morning and doesn't have spiritual practices and just lets life 
be and exist and isn't trying to like manipulate it with spirituality. Like it's taken me a while just to like let things lie Mm -hmm. and wait for sort of like, you know, when there's a fire and everything's black and then eventually things just start sprouting up again. I feel like just recently these little tiny spiritual buds have popped up and I'm like, oh, like new growth is happening. I'm not forcing it, but it's naturally coming out of me because I've let things sit for a while. And that is been, that has been really wonderful to mm-hmm. get to kind of start fresh and yeah. see what it's like to be organically spiritual and not have it just shoved on me. Yeah, absolutely. I find that it's when it is the most natural is when you know, because I think when you leave, well, for me, when I left, I suddenly had this moment of like, well, who am I? You know, what do I like? Did I like that just because I was supposed to like that? Or do I actually like that? Uh, And so, you know, when it comes naturally, it's like, okay, so this is, this is what it is. This is who I am. Yeah. Exactly. And that's That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Are there days for you when you miss it? There are aspects that I miss. Mm. I never miss going to church. Mm -hmm. Um, I miss you know, I was in worship ministry, so I miss music being a part of my life more regularly. Yeah. Um, people say they like miss the community. I don't know if it's just because I was in ministry, but when I look back, I'm like, you know, I never really had community even when I was in church. It was like, I was always like a little like outside because I was in ministry and, Mm. you know, as my therapist later helped me realize, like, I'm sort of a free spirit and, a um, you know, a nomadic have like a nomadic soul and like free spirits and nomadic souls are not drawn to long-term relationships with churches. Yeah. So it was like, Oh, I was never going to like, my people don't go to church. My people do do other things. And um, so I have found much stronger community in other places. Um, But yes, I don't really miss the community. I miss some of the people, um, but they're, you know, the good ones are still in my life because yeah, they know the good ones but yeah the good good ones ones. yeah (laughs) the good ones are the ones that are still like my uh, yeah my filter's a little low today so you're getting getting the real business but yeah there's there's things I miss but overall not really I'm so much happier now I like getting to do what feels right to me and not trying to force myself to fit into something that somebody else told me yeah that's right. I have no interest in, in doing that. I think I'm just not like an, in, an organized religion person. Mm. It's just not, just not a good fit for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think some people are. Yeah. And I am very happy for that. I have, it's like, I hold it's a really high value. The fact that like different souls need different things. And so yeah. I even really honor and respect people for whom evangelical Christianity is like a real path to peace for them. Like you get one life and you got to make it through. And if that is what helps you great, like take accountability for the harm that your system is causing. Mm. But, um, you know, what, 
with my kids. Like I'm not going to yuck someone else's yum. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I, think- this is just not my cup of tea. No. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, there are, there are so many different spaces that people can fall into on that deconstruction. Some deconstruct and deconvert, some reconstruct mm-hmm. and find a more yeah. authentic faith. Some yeah. you know, just don't go to church and still hold that Christian yeah. mentality. And so um, I think one of the beautiful things that I've found in talking to such diverse people is, is that, you know, people fall on that spectrum of faithful to faithless if we go with that sort of spectrum yeah um at yeah. all different points um mm-hmm. and and all of that is okay um mm-hmm. providing like you said there is accountability and recognition of harm <laughs> and all of those yeah. things um yeah. if we come into the present day what brings you joy and peace now I think I think after living so much at odds with my internal world, it still brings me an incredible amount of joy and peace to go through the practice of when I feel unsettled to kind of like, I don't know how to describe it, but just sort of like center myself and ground myself and tap into like, hey, like almost if I were to do like an IFS thing and like talk to my inner child, like, Hey, little joy, like what's going on in there? Like, what are you feeling? What do you need? Mm -hmm. Like what, what in your environment is causing you distress and what can I do about it? Like giving myself permission to do that and to believe myself and then to take action Mm -hmm. to create the life in which all the parts of me that are finally having a chance to talk will thrive that has been a great joy because it affects everything. Mm. Like, yeah. What do I need to get through today? What do I need to get through this? Like my child who's screaming at me and saying mean things to me, you know, and like, what do I need to, or like, what do I want to accomplish in 2024? How am I going to set goals? It's like, yeah, still just really loving the freedom to like love myself that Mm. I never had for so long. Yeah. And offer self-compassion as opposed to yeah. berating, you know, yeah. I, so much yeah. time in church is just about, you know, less, less of me, less of me, less of me, more of Jesus, mm-hmm. less of me. That mm-hmm. sort of language is constant. We can't even sing this worship song because it says the word I too many Yes. Times. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, even just you know, having that ability to acknowledge and offer self-compassion and go, you know, I am important is, mm-hmm. is incredible. Yeah. Um, and not in a sense of like, I don't have any idea that like, I'm a more important person than anybody else in the world, but I am the only one who can take responsibility for myself. Yeah. And I am the only person I can take responsibility for. yeah absolutely it's like well I gotta start here before I do anything else like if this isn't right I'm not gonna have much I'm not gonna be able to reliably offer anything of good because the the source of what I'm putting out isn't in a good place like then that's gonna not be good and I want it to be good so I gotta be good here I have to yeah be I don't know 
quality ingredients make a better recipe or something. <laughs> I love that. Oh, it just, um, it makes me think of, um, I don't know whether you, RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I yeah. think I probably need to. Um, it's wonderful. But um, the the catchphrase at the end of every episode is that Rue says, um, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love someone else? And it's oh, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of like that. It's like, you know, how you go. am I going to be compassionate to somebody else if I can't be compassionate towards me? Um, yeah, so, absolutely. yeah. Okay. I am finishing all of these episodes with the same question, which is what are you saying? What word of wisdom, what message do you have somebody who is who to somebody who is fresh in their deconstruction? Mm -hmm. The number one thing I think that causes stress and anxiety when people are starting their deconstruction is there is a sense of urgency there was a real value in Christianity to know exactly what you believe and to be able to articulate it. And when you start deconstructing some of those beliefs, you may sort of accidentally bring that mindset with you that there's an expectation that you're supposed to know exactly what you believe and be able to articulate it for the sake of, you know, in evangelicalism, that is like to be, you know, any moment pop quiz, somebody comes up into your life. Are you able to like, tell them how to accept Jesus into their hearts and save them from hell? Mm. That quiz no longer exists. There is no urgency anymore. You know, there's, I, I realized I had this image of like God with like a stopwatch, like, like, mm-hmm. are you done yet? Like, are you done going through this? Like, and I, there was a real sense of like, oh my gosh, like, wait, if I don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe in this. And like, ah, I need to read all the books. And like, I have to figure everything out. Mm. there's no deadline and so that's like the number one thing I tell people who are overwhelmed is just like you know what there is no deadline you know to quote David Hayward as a quote from you again like (laughs) it's a lifestyle not a not a destination I actually don't know what you said but yeah so you can take the pressure off because number one you don't have a deadline number two you don't owe anyone an explanation You can say, you can keep this part of your life private until you're ready to talk about it. Mm. And um, it's not something, you know, demolish in a day. So give yourself the time to take it apart carefully and Mm. thoughtfully and gently and take breaks from it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Make it fun. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, there is... um... I love the make it fun bit because I think we forget that, I mean, deconstruction and healing tend to go hand in hand, um, mm. but um, I think we forget that joy and laughter and fun are yeah. all parts of healing as well. It's not all doom and gloom and, you know, yeah. I laugh with my clients all the time because laughter yeah. is healing as well as crying. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah I think that's important yeah and it's like almost like we buy into this thought that deconstruction is this terrible thing we're doing and we're going to do it anyways it's like we believe them when they say like oh you're rejecting the faith you're Mm -hmm. leaving like what did even the word deconstruction is like a loss a grief like something's falling apart and so it's like almost like this expectation that we have to do it that that's like Mm -hmm. part of the process is it being this really awful thing but 
Yeah. Just like making sure that it is still part of a good life. Um, mm-hmm. Like good life can coexist with deconstruction and yeah. having fun and taking breaks. And I think eventually what people find is that like, oh, I can have more fun now <laughs> and I am more yeah. joyful and like I feel Absolutely. more um, permission to like do the things I like and want and see. Yeah. So Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's this been so really fun. Nice. Yeah, I love yeah, it. This is really nice. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Surface. Until next time, take care, stay true to who you are, and remember, your voice and your story matters always.